Blog Talk Radio. Hello, uh, this is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I think I had a, my microphone was not live at that moment, and now it is. So sorry about that. I hope you did hear Mozart at least. Uh, as I was saying, we are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. here on Blog Talk Radio. And we are on A Better World Television at uh, 10.30 every Tuesday evening here in New York City. You can access both at our website, www.abetterworld.tv. If you're not yet part of our newsletter, please join the Better World family and become part of it. We announce our shows, and I do a blog pretty much every single week, what we're going to be talking about both on the radio and the television show. So, happy holidays, everyone. I'm very glad you're joining us again today because we're going to have another very interesting show as we continue a theme that, as you know, who those of you who listen with any regularity, we discuss rather often, which is the idea of healing and transformation. Today, we have a, a doctor, a gentleman, a teacher uh, who has been on this path for literally decades and has done more to help bring people forward in working with themselves in what he refers to as deep work, and that's Dr. Richard Moss. No longer practicing medicine in any kind of conventional way, but practicing healing, that's for sure, through the many methods that he uses, he had himself a really interesting inner transformation that occurred early in his life after he began practicing medicine, emergency room medicine, and more. And that became a pivot for the rest of his life, becoming an internationally best-selling author through Hay House, has written a number of books. We've had Richard on the show on A Better World Television a few years ago when his book The Mandala of Being came out. And Richard, by those who are sort of on the inside of healing and transformation, have known him and hail him 
Marianne Williamson, many people, Deepak Chopra, they recognize Richard as really a maestro, as they call him, the maestro of deep work. And I think you'll get a real sense of that as today's show moves on. We'll bring Richard on in just a moment. And additionally, for the second part of the show, we will continue the theme of healing again. But this, from a somewhat different point of view, with Dr. Marielle Samas, who is a naturopath, but a lot of her work really centers around dealing with early childhood trauma and how that trauma affects our perspective for uh, years to come and then what we can do about that trauma and the perspective, the belief system, the perception that gets formed at that early stage of our lives so that we can open up our parameters, so to speak, and live a life that's uh, that's richer and more dynamic. So uh, there's so much that I could say about Richard, and I, I, I'm just eager to kind of sink into uh, listening to him speak because his work is so rich. He's been uh, running 10-day retreats in different parts of the world, South America, here, Europe, Australia. For This has been going on for decades. He's gone so deep in his own self, and he's so really, so kindly brought it forward in a very thoughtful and sensitive way that I, I really want you all, I feel jealous for you, not to have heard Richard uh, perhaps yet speak of this work. Richard, are you there? Hello, Richard, are you there? Ah, yes. Here we go. Okay, Richard, now I'm can you hear me now? Yep, I heard you. I heard everything you had to say about me. Uh, not you could have been more grandiose. I mean, it would have been all right. <laughs> good, good, we would good scare music. people away. <laughs> they wouldn't feel they had a chance. Uh, anyway, a... I'm glad you're on, and you. uh, you're with us today. It's really a pleasure and an honor. Your work mm-hmm. has reached the hearts and souls of many, literally thousands of people around the world, and. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, you know, your own personal inspiration, if you would, and 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 let's our, get our arms around this notion of deep work. My inspiration? Well, oof. you know, that's really hard to know. I, I think everybody has a conscience, and certainly I did, and it told yeah. me when I wasn't doing what I should do, and, and I, I felt enormous shame, and it told me what I should do and uh, I did my best and, um, mm-hmm. and you know and and then life unfolds it unfolds and it, you know I think it's a very big mistake for us to, to regard any human being as special in any particular way all of us are born with the capacity to create ourselves to invent ourselves and it's it's intrinsic to the this mysterious thing we call consciousness or awareness and it's yes. not the awareness or consciousness that we each first develop which is our ego sense of self our persona our um the the individual the sense of our own individual separate existence and how we act in it it's the consciousness of every thought every feeling every sensation every belief everything um and yet that consciousness remains forever prior to our experience, our sensation, our beliefs, our thinking. 
And so in that sense, there's no way to say what a human being is and, and no way to yes. say what I am. And, and, um, and once that consciousness, once you know about that consciousness, once you awaken to it or recognize it or simply accept that that consciousness exists, then you are in a ceaseless relationship with life, mm-hmm. with you know, not life in the abstract, but with every person, every relationship, every attitude you have, every judgment you make, every thought, every belief, all of your training in any career is still only something that you are aware of because of this mysterious consciousness. And therefore, you can choose to change your career. You can go from being a, let's say, reductionist scientist, as I had been, to a person who recognizes the absolute inseparableness of everything, and understands that in that, you know, irreducible um, wonderment of, of interconnectedness is the real story yeah. of who we are and what we are and what this is, life, the world, existence, the universe. Yeah. And then you Let's build yourself. Let's go back yourself. to something. Let's mm-hmm. go back to your life and a moment when you were interpreting your life as being a healer, of course, of sorts, as an MD working in an emergency room and doing the things that you were doing as a doctor. And were you interested at that point in anything referred to as spirituality or a higher understanding of metaphysics or consciousness? Or were you what you would say more of a kind of a materialist, secularized doctor who is there with a good heart? to do a good job, but there was nothing beyond that interpretation really at hand. How would you describe it? Well, you know, in a way, what you're, what you're saying is that I'm so far along in, in a, a way in my own journey that there's no longer anything that, that I consider to be, to be part, you know, my identity uh, other than, you know, but other than being just a human being living my life. When there yes. was and 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 a time when I truly believed in in Richard Moss as this separate person who needed to try harder or didn't try hard enough or was an underachiever or then sometimes an overachiever and needed to prove yes. himself and was competitive and all the things that you know many people are um, and um, so my mode of self protection was primarily rebellion and going into my head and being very smart. And um, uh-huh. being, you know, you know, that was my mode. Other people tend to be pleasers. I wasn't that. Some um, people withdraw into very private worlds. I wasn't like that. You know, and then, and then this man, you know, did well enough in school. He got into medical school during the Vietnam War. Got into several, in fact. And then I wasn't any great medical student because I wasn't very motivated. I was too conflicted inside myself, too idealistic. So I'd say that the conflict came oh. from from spiritual that did some waiting kind of if you want to call it spiritual quality that was basically saying to me mm, you know you don't realize it but you're in a cocoon right now the cocoon is a uh, university oh. and now it's medical school and then it's going to be internship and you know, residency and doing emergency medicine and you know you don't know that you're in a cocoon but but when then some one day I woke up out of the cocoon and I realized what a total jerk I had been in many ways and realized what a total jerk I could be and started to decide to be 
took, I decided to try to be a human being who could love. Um, and and you know what what woke up in the emergency room was literally an experience where a voice said to me, "You have nothing to share with this man except love." And instead of you know giving him injections and keeping him in the hospital for observation, I just put my hand with such tenderness on his forehead. Now this was a dangerous man. There were two policemen there, and I said to this guy, "Look, I'm this not going to you." Were you were acting as a as a doctor, right? Oh well, yeah, I was. This was in the emergency room. And it was one of yeah. these experiences that changes your life. Uh, yeah. I knew. That, I said to him, you know, I know that if I were in pain or whatever it is that's really distressing you, you wouldn't you wouldn't trust. So I'm going to touch you the way I would want to be touched if I didn't trust anyone. And I had to yeah. put my hand so softly on his head and then so softly on his belly, and I became blazing hot, just blazing hot. And the the the, the nurse next to me sat down on a chair. The one of the policemen went and opened a window, and the guy in the bed. His eyes rolled up in the top of his head, and he went to sleep right then and there. And I stood like that for about, I don't know, maybe. I mean, there was still a part of me that was going, what the hell's going on here? You better not, you know, people are going to think you're nuts. But I was probably standing right. and stood there for a minute. And, and when the guy woke up a half an hour later, there was absolutely no reason to keep him in the hospital. And off he went. And that voice that said, you have nothing to share with this man except love, basically started me on a journey which was, okay, I have no idea what that voice is. That's not my voice. That's not a voice of one of my subpersonalities. That's not an inner thought of any kind. That was a transmission of something from somewhere. I can't say a thing about that world. I know nothing about it even now, 30, what, eight years later. Um, yes. and, and so I will simply say I then... I then began the process of leaving medicine. And, of course, there were many other influences. So I was a seeker, but I was a seeker because I was unhappy. And I, was, yes. I had been a seeker in medical school because I felt, I felt impotent in medical school. Uh, I felt mm. like I was learning information and not what it meant to be a healer. And now I understand that I, I would never really here to be a healer. I was here to be a human being that loves other human beings and loves this whole big, wonderful mystery we call existence. Yes, yes, beautifully put. It really makes distinctions between what we call healing and what we can think of as doctoring and medicine and, as you say, who we are as human beings. And maybe there is that quality, and I really believe there is, that when you reached out and touched that man, that patient, quote-unquote, in the emergency room, at a moment of emergency, that transmission, if you will, of love is healing. And oh, sure. So and any in that human moment, being it was the healing of that I needed. Yes, you're right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. In that moment, I would and say it wasn't the healing he needed, it was the healing I needed. You know, and in, in retrospect, right, I have no right. idea what that what's happened to that man or what he's done with his life, but I know how I've sure. moved, moved on. Also, it changed you, know, we, you. Yeah, we said hi yesterday, briefly in preparation for today, and I mentioned yes. to you that I just had had a hip replacement. So I want yes. the audience to know that one of the things that I am so deeply grateful for is not only yes. a doctor or doctors or nurses or the whole institution of medicine in yes. the place where human beings get a chance to help other human beings. I am deeply grateful for that. I've been grateful for the impulse that's that that is alive in in what we are that causes us to learn how to do things better and better and i had a really good surgeon and i had a very good medical team 
And I'm uh-huh. walking around now, you know, just stabilizing myself wow. with a walker, walking better than I had been yeah. walking for the previous nine months. And that is oh, a miracle, too. Truly, and that is truly. healing, too. That's right. That's right. Well put. And I, I agree. Uh, credit needs to be given across the board where where it's deserved. And, uh, yes, it is a form of healing. I I know. I know, and, yeah, and I appreciate it. And we tend to know people discount, but it's not worth discounting. Please, come right. on. You know, well, I know I, I'm, I'm going to take the position, because it came into my head just now, of someone that's mm-hmm. listening to us that's saying, yes, but, you know, the, the, pharmaco- the pharmacology industry is very, uh, just, just needs to make money, sells, does this, does that. As you know, yeah. big pharma does that. As does big right. meat and big vegetable. You know, and as as the whole right. basic food production. And, and, Agribusiness. And it, it, yeah, there is so much that human beings have an opportunity to learn about what it means to love one another, um, and right. why that would be good for everyone, not just good for some people. Um, and <sighs> and so I am not condoning. The things that happen in medicine or anywhere else, which are still born of fear and born of, of greed, I'm just simply acknowledging that the best of who we are is far, far better than the worst of who we are, and that the best of who we are is there 95% of who, the time in the majority of people, and yeah. the worst of who we are gets much, much more publicity and the worst of who we are in ourselves when it shows us gets us in big trouble and that we may have to pay for a while for that the trouble or or un, you know, unravel the mess we've made but but the that you know the the best of what human beings are is far far more prevalent uh, you know best may be too 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 strong a word but the the, the best element or the the best in yeah. impulse within us is is there sure and i i well, never I think the day I miss is... that I think it's really true, and I like your ratio of 95% to 5%. I'll buy into that one in a moment. But when we look around at the world and we see uh, some of the more devastating uh, manifestations, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. I mean, from the violence that is perpetuated so routinely to the human trafficking to the beating up on our environment through different forms of pollution and contamination. What I begin to wonder if that ratio is across the board for all humanity or it fluctuates. What, what are your thoughts about how these horrific matters can exist continuously? It's not occasional. It's a persistent reality that we deal with. And if you look at war over history, we see that the the history of humans is largely a history of war. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, two, two things that I would feel to say. First of all, not you, not me, not indigenous people, not hunter-gatherers. Nobody has known what a, what a healthy ecosystem is. Nobody has known what a healthy environment is. We lived in it, and the hunter-gatherers trashed a small area and moved on to another area. They trashed it in a way without toxicity and so forth, so things regrew and restored themselves. But you have to damage something before you understand its wholeness and its integrity. So the learning process 
is always mm. a learning, always has to be a learning process in which what we do not consciously know, we cannot know until we harm it. And once we harm it, then we become conscious of how we're harming it, whether we're talking about economic systems, whether we're talking about socio-cultural dynamics, whether we're talking about environmental degradation. We now understand what a healthy environment is because we have degraded it. We understand what healthy soil is because we've degraded it. We understand what healthy air is because we've degraded it, and water, and so forth. And now... Now the patterns that are in place and the forces that are in place that have made these mistakes, they have to be outgrown, and they are being outgrown. Um, yes. Everything from from overconsumption of animal life on our planet, you know, industrial raising of animals, and for example, for our food, yes. all of that is going to be overcome. Just like cigarette smoking is still growing, if you look at the world in general. But in the places where we first came to understand how destructive it is, it is shrinking. It is shrinking in the United States. It's shrinking in Europe. The places that don't have the consciousness and don't have the same information base that we have, where these companies could continue to spread themselves into Africa, into Asia, and places like that, yes, you know, there are young people that are smoking. They're trying to look like what we Americans and Westerners wanted to look like 30 years ago, uh, and yeah. now we don't want to look like anymore. And in the Hollywood the movies, for instance, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Your point is profound. You don't want to look like that. Yeah. yeah but Your point, okay. really. So first of all, yeah. yeah. We make the mistake, well, I and that's how we learn. I want to just extrapolate, if mm-hmm. I could, for a moment here, Richard, because you're you're making a yeah, profound point about the relationship, no, of of uh, of essentially creativity and destruction, and that in order to create and to go deeper, uh, since that's very much a theme of your work, uh, one needs to harm. It so often appears that which one may come later to love, whether that's our earth or each other. Right, exactly. That's powerful. Well, it's, it's not that we need to do it. It's that it's that it's that we're just. There are two fundamental mistakes that every human being makes at that stage of development, which we call I or me or ego, and that's yes. and that's an unavoidable and absolutely necessary stage of, of development. Every human being yes. who's ever been born and um, was was capable of being socialized because they didn't have some sort of severe genetic dis- you know, disablement or, or yeah. whatever, has, has to go through this stage of being an ego. And when you are an ego, you are a, a person who believes your own thoughts, those that have been inculcated in you by your parents, your family of origin stuff, your society, your religion, and so forth. You believe those things, and you are the victim of that belief, you believe your judgments of yourself. You believe your judgments of others. You believe your stories about your past, what happened to you when you were a child, what your daddy should have done or didn't do, or your mother, or and on and on and on. And you believe your, your fearful thoughts about the future, and you want to believe your hopeful thoughts about the future. In other words, your sense of identity rests on identification with your own thinking. That is a human being at the level of ego. That is a human being who doesn't yet have this consciousness that puts them in relationship to thinking, relationship to belief, relationship to feeling, Mm. relationship to ideas. 
we have ideas, but the relationship to the idea means all ideas constantly change, are constantly outgrown. So that's the first mistake. We identify with our thinking. We identify with our beliefs. And the second mistake is that we are feeling beings. We have a, and we're not just thinking beings. We feel, and we are afraid of many of our feelings. And I would say in a simplistic way, the kinds of feelings that we're afraid of all fall into the category of fear. So it's a fear of, and then you tell the story, a fear of aloneness, a fear of abandonment, a fear of starving, a fear of poverty, a fear of, and on and on, a fear of heights, you know, a fear of betrayal. And, 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 and these sensations that we, the sensation of fear or the, any form of sensation that we would call um, dissatisfaction, we literally believe what our mind tells us. And we don't have a relationship with our consciousness in the exact moment that we're experiencing these sensations or the sensation of fear because there's only one sensation. It has a hundred names, a thousand names, maybe tens of thousands of names, but mm. there's only one sensation and there is only one moment you can be in relationship to that sensation, which is the present moment. So the second tremendous mistake, which all of my work, deep work, is about, is that you stop believing anything your thinking mind can tell you about a feeling and you start to have a relationship with that feeling. And there are so many therapies based on cathartic a feeling or dancing a feeling or you know, making your eyes go in different directions and tapping your bodies in different ways. It doesn't yeah. make any difference how creative we are with it. The point is right. that sensation in the moment is no danger to you if you make a space to hold it. And sometimes mm. it's very valuable to you. Because fear was our first teacher of survival. It made us ready. It yeah. said, you know, get ready. You're not, you are got to take care of yourself right now. There's not going to be enough food to get through this coming winter. Or uh, that's a saber-toothed tiger out there, and uh, he's a little too big for you to, to, to try to deal with. Tackle. Uh, yeah, exactly. So fear was our teacher of survival. Today, fear is the threat to our survival. Because whenever there is fear, people become self-involved. And when there is self-involvement and self-interest plus fear, that's the equation for everything you were talking about, the atrocities you were talking about, the human trafficking yes. you were talking about, the warlords in Africa, the tribes that you know try to do genocide to other people, whether in Europe yes. or in Africa or wherever it takes place. Fear yes. plus self-interest is the formula for all disasters created by human beings. And a person who has no self, you know, who, I would say, if I experience any self-interest inside myself, it's for that which benefits everyone, not mm -hmm. just me. And I would never put myself as more important than any other human being anywhere. Mm -hmm. And if I do, mm -hmm. I want to learn not to do that anymore. So yes. in the hospital last week, those people taking care of me were as important as I am in any way. And the relationship between us more important than anything else. And yep. and and as a result, every one of those people felt special, and I appreciated every one of them, and they felt appreciated, and I experienced their care and their caring and their skill and their training and their sense of responsibility and dignity and nobility, and they were beautiful. I hear you. We every are speaking single with Richard one. Moss uh, here on A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin. I'm very glad you're joining us all. 
Richard Moss is well known as a teacher, uh, often referred to as the maestro of deep work. He is speaking about that today on our show, uh, about the, you could say, the, the terrain of deep work, which is standing outside of your thoughts, not believing them, and being in touch with feeling without judging them and creating the space for them. Very beautiful, very important, very subtle material Richard is bringing forth to us. For those of you who do not know, we're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that is, broadcasting out of New York City. And we talk about healing and transformation and the environment, progressive politics, and how to create a better world. So, Richard, please go on. If someone were to attend one of your uh, many retreats, what what is it that you first open up to them? What is the conversation you have with people so that they may get the most out of that retreat? That's a really good question. Um, I listen to them first. I I, I, I create a simple ritual. Even with a big group of people, you know, that you were you mentioning, I for 36 yes. years now I've been doing retreats that are 10 days long, sometimes longer, but certainly I'm known for the yes. long retreats. And and yes. um, you know, they're not easily for people to attend in terms of time. But but even with a group that might be 70 or 80 people, I ask a very simple question. It might be something like, "There's someone you know." who loves you profoundly and is as wise or as, as anyone you'll ever meet in your life, um, the wisest person you know at this moment, or maybe it's an imaginary person or an imaginary part of you that you will simply know loves you and is wise, what would it tell you is the most important thing for you to do in this two-day program or this evening program or this, uh, well, in an evening I wouldn't do this because there wouldn't be enough time because there could be 500 people in the room, so we wouldn't have time mm-hmm. to do this. But But if it was a weekend... Or five days, or a week, you know. Then, and I ask people to, you know, I ask them to listen to what they say, and and people say things like, almost always they say things like, well, that wise part of me says, be honest, don't don't keep up a facade that you're cool when when you're scared, you know, or or be vulnerable, or, or or trust, or you know, the wisdom is in every person. So I start yes. letting people access that part of themselves that's going to be their teacher um, because the, the simple fact is that the only reason to have a teacher outside of yourself is to discover how to be your own teacher and any good yes, teacher good point. You know, if, if uh-huh. I'm a good teacher I, I show people how to be their own teacher it's the last yes. thing I want is them to be dependent on me because every yes. human being every human being is inventing themselves and that's going to come very early in my conversation with people nope you're not here because you did something wrong. You're here because you invented yourself to, to, in such a way that brought you to this moment. And now where do you want to go? What kind of human being do you want to be? Do you want to be a Nelson Mandela? When 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 his memorial was going on this past, last week, did did you cry? Were you grateful yeah. this man lived? Because if you did, yeah. then your soul is telling you this is the direction you want to go with every cell of your being to the best of your ability, not to imitate him, but that those tears of recognition, that gratitude for that life, 
is showing you something about who you really are. Now, how do you want to be with your wife? Now, how do you want to be with your son and daughter? Now, how do you want to be with your, your husband? Now, how do you want to be in business? Now, how do you want to be in your career, in anything? Because every person has invented themselves. Picasso invented himself. Every person, you know, Jesus invented himself, Buddha invented himself, and Buddhism is his invention. And everybody has interpret, that's interpreting Jesus and in, in, in giving words to God and interpreting the Bible is just inventing themselves. The one thing we can be sure of is that we are the invention of our inventions. We are the creation mm. of the gods we imagine or God we imagine. And, you know, if we are imaginative enough, then we're going to create a better world. Not just That's a right. world for, for for a few select people or a few you know, right. select special people. Um, there's no special person. There's no one who's achieved greatness that hasn't done it out of a context of extraordinarily complex situations of intimacy, relationship, connectedness, and the sacrifice of others or the good fortune or luck of others. There is no self-made man. Yes, Every man exactly. makes themselves in the context of a vast, a limitless, really, dimension of relatedness. Of course, there are. I, I'm a self-made man, but the things I'm saying are are things that 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 come or formed in me out of out of countless relationships. Um, and you know why that happened in the emergency room? I'll never know. But one thing's for sure: nothing, nothing out there said now you have to do something with this. I did something with it, you know. Um, yeah. Did I need that patient, that specific patient? Yes. Did because, I needed him because that's who, who was there. Did I need the nurse next to me? I guess so. And did I need the policeman in the room? I guess so. And for every other situation or moment in my life or anyone's life, you know, I love the way Malcolm Gladwell put it in, in his word, in his book, um, I don't know, is it Blink? I don't know. I can't remember which book it is, where he, where he talked about you know, there isn't any self-made person. You know, the Beatles, the Beatles practiced for thousands of hours in in Frankfurt or Hamburg, Germany, rather. And um, yeah, there happened to be yeah. the, one of the most powerful computers in the world in in a high school where a certain guy uh, that founded Microsoft happened to be being a 16-year-old. Sure. Know? Well, and, it's the notion of. It's it's systems theory versus the so-called great man or woman theory. You know that no one arises in some kind of vacuum. There's always a context, and if well, you embrace the notions of quantum physics or Buddhism's notion of uh, interdependence, you see that there's no individual arising, but that the interconnectedness or the web of life is contributing to all of our evolutionary impulses, if you will, and our tendency toward growth. Exactly. And so for the person that's in the room with me for a weekend or a week or whatever, they're going to come out of there realizing that that they have been creating themselves. Now they have a more conscious understanding of that they have been creating themselves. And they've gotten in touch with their hearts and their bodies and listen to each other deeply enough to realize that they're creating themselves in a con- in, a, in an infinite web of interconnected relationship. That yeah. consciousness itself is not a thing that you realize, but a relationship with things that constantly yeah. unfolds. Yeah. And 
One of the and things so you, you talk a lot about. One of the things, exactly, one of the things you talk a lot about, Richard, is the distinction, the contradistinction, if you will, of fear and love. And you spoke earlier about the importance of fear at a certain point in our lives and certainly in our evolution, you know, the saber-toothed tiger, and also in our human life when we're growing up and fear becomes a form of intelligence to keep us on a certain path to keep us alive. It's, there's a survival mechanism in fear. It's not somehow bad in itself. It's only not useful when it shows up at times when love is probably the better alternative. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I know you talk a lot about that in your, book, in your books and uh, in your work. Well, wherever there is, every human being is a feeling being, and so at times there's going to be fear. But when we're children, yeah. we don't we don't create a conscious relationship with with fear. We have a a reactive, defensive relationship with fear. Right. So we develop what I call the survival personality. We develop our ways of protecting ourselves from sensations that we call threatening. And whether that's, you know, mm-hmm. being very cerebral or whether it's being macho or whether it's being pleasing or whether it's, a re- you know, being a rebel or whether it's being, you know, kind of just kind of disappearing into your imaginary world and turning that emerging, yeah. imaginary world into, let's say, musical genius or something else, that we each find that the process by which we learn to defend ourselves or protect ourselves from fear is unconscious but the process by which we learn to have a conscious relationship with fear and to set aside our defenses and start letting ourselves be vulnerable, that is conscious, and that is a practice, that is a a dedication, that is a a life purpose. If we could wave a magic wand in a kind of Harry Potter world right now, Mm. and every human being had three times the capacity to be present with fear or threatening feelings, without becoming self-involved, self-serving. You know, if, you, mm-hmm. if there, there would be what? One-third as much greed, one-third as much intolerance, one-third as much mm-hmm. injustice, one-third as much um, need to have power over others, one-third as much need to be pleasing instead of authentic. You would One-third as much need to withdraw into your own private world, even if it leads you to excellence, um, and there would be three times more cooperation, three times more trust, three times more open-heartedness. Everything. And yeah. Everything. So first, a relationship to fear. Um, and so so years and years and years ago, I remember the, 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 the very experience. I had come out of a, of a kind of retreat. I was in a very altered state in a way. I was on my back mm-hmm. porch. I looked up into the sky. There was this great, I was in my 20s, there was this great black cone coming down. I, I, I mean, I was, it wasn't hallucinating. I, I was seeing something. Of course, I knew it wasn't there. But I immediately said, ah, you are fear. And, mm. and, and I got down on my hands and knees and I put my forehead to the ground and I said, you are fear. You are a great God. You are not my God. Mm. And and from that moment on, did fear go away? Not at all. I mean, not in the least. What happened <laughs> was the awareness of my relationship with fear 
how I behaved when I was afraid, how I acted when I was afraid, that became more and more available to my awareness, to my consciousness, and I chose. I do not want to be self-involved when there is fear. I chose. I do not want to be self... I, I do not want my self-interest to be more important than the interest of everyone and anyone else in, You know, that's part of the situation at that time. Um, fear yeah. is not going to make me self-involved. And that has been a practice. That has been a, a consecration, a dedication, and a practice year after year after year after year. And I've made some progress. Slow, steady yes. progress. Fear is yes. a, fear is a yeah. very useful friend, and but if fear told me do something in you know for my self interest at the expense of someone else, I wouldn't listen. If if God yeah. said to me you're not trying hard enough, I would think sorry God you're not you're not God. You're, you know mm-hmm. I felt my body contract with that thought, so you can't be God. Sorry God God doesn't contract us. Fear contracts yeah. us, not God. You know, God yeah. said. You don't. You're not loving. You're not loving enough. You have to be more loving. And if if my response to that was a deep sense of yes, I'd say thank you. But if my response to that was guilt or shame, I'd say go away. You're you're not a, a true voice. Go away. No true mm-hmm. voice makes me feel this way. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got it. I got it. That's beautiful. What do What do you say about this sense of authenticity? We want to be authentic, and you've mentioned you could say that there are several uh, typologies, personality types in all that you've been saying from the people pleaser to, you know, you could say the warrior type and the protector and uh, the, the bully and the macho guy you mentioned. You know, we spin off someone who goes into their own imaginary fairyland. How do you distinguish between being authentic and being a people pleaser and also this notion that you said uh, that you wouldn't do anything that would hurt somebody else. But what if you were being authentic hurts mm-hmm. somebody else? Yeah, I, did, I didn't say I wouldn't do something that hurt someone else. I said I wouldn't be, believe a thought that hurt me. Now, if I have a thought that okay. shows me that I was self-involved, if I show, yes. see a thought, you know, that I was selfish, th- that thought would hurt. But I would also know that was a healthy hurt, you know, and and I would just okay. rededicate. My, I would rededicate myself. No, I said I don't believe a thought about my future if it makes me unhappy right now or anxious right now. I don't believe a oh. thought about my past if it makes me feel ashamed or guilty or regretful or sad or oh, even happy right now. I mm-hmm. I know that the most full authentic experience of my being can only happen in the present moment and will never be the product of a thought no thought is going to take me to wholeness ever anytime what thoughts emerge from the experience of being whole that's something else the thoughts that emerge from being whole are the things we're talking about the, the sense yes. that i have not gotten here alone that i have you know I can't use a pencil by myself. How many hundreds of thousands of people yes. did it take to in, to invent a pencil or a pen, right. you know, a ballpoint pen, metallurgy, plastics, dye technology? Sure. I mean, you know, just everything, anything you touch and you put your hands on, you're, you're touching hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of lives over, you know, 
you, you, for shopping in the grocery store. We didn't plan until very recently to to transform plants. We did it by trial and error, by accident. Um, we domesticated them by accident, and and yeah. then we become the victims of the things we domesticate, um, and sometimes for the better, and sometimes not so much. Yes. But but no, if I if I am authentic, I mean I made a decision to leave a 22 year marriage. Um, four or five years ago, and, and that caused enormous pain. It caused pain for my stepchildren, who I had been part of their lives since they were very young, and it caused a lot of pain for my ex-wife. It caused a lot of pain for people who had a strong identification with the two of us. Um, yes. But I, but I had to follow what I felt was true for me uh, mm-hmm. to be authentic in my life. I had to, you know, risk. There was too much. It was too much codependency. Here I was a conscious man, and yet I was in a codependent process. And I, I, as I became conscious of it and tried to change it and was felt ineffectual, I finally said, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, yeah. And yes, there was a tremendous trail of pain. And that pain gave every single person who was involved in it, since there was no intent to hurt anyone, not, yes. not, my, not my ex-wife, not the, the children, not the friends who loved us, you know, it gave them an opportunity to decide whether they wanted to hurt themselves with their mm. beliefs. And some of them still yes. do. You know, they're still yes. telling stories that are hurting them today for something that happened yes. four years ago. You know, And yes. there, now there are people all over the world who are telling stories. You know, the Azerbaijans, you know, with their story, what happened with the Turks, you know, the... Uh, the Middle Easterners and Palestinians with yes. their story of what happened a few generations ago right. with the formation of the State of Israel. It just goes on and on and on, and it's nothing but imagination. You know, you're reimagining so the past, you... creating an emotional state right now, and then acting on the emotional state your reimagined yes. past creates in you. Why in the world would anyone do that? Yes. Well, that is a very good they question. They believe their thoughts and they're afraid yeah. of their feelings. Yeah. I, you know, they I know say, the yeah. answer. They believe their yes. thoughts, they're afraid of their feelings, and until they have consciousness or awareness, they will keep doing that. Yes, indeed. And they will. we will continue also to judge and to belittle and all of the things that human beings do until we come to a greater sense of awareness of the emptiness of that, the non-reality, really, of that, and as you well put it, you know, that all of that is rooted in our fear of our own feelings and being present with them at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about maestro, and you talk about deep work. Uh, that domain right there, that pivot of developing a loving, conscious relationship with one's feeling life, and then, of course, out of that, one's mind and body life is a great gift to humanity, Richard. And uh, at A Better World, we very much appreciate it. I appreciate it. And it's uh, you talk about, when I talk about creating a better world, what, what else could I be talking about but this domain of people waking up to their deeper, higher selves? and being authentic so that when we get out into the world of business and politics and all of it, 
the, this is who we are. It's like we've gone home to recreate and reinvent ourselves and then go back into the world as more whole human beings. And God knows through your writing and through your teaching and your retreats, you are, you're making a significant contribution to helping people become whole. And uh, very much well, appreciate and that's, it. And that's, and that's a great gift to me. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to do this and yeah. to have this conversation with you and to hear where you take the conversation with your, you know, it's like just having another yeah. part of me talking with me, which is yes. a pleasure yeah. and an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's mutual. It really is. Do you have a website that you would like people to be able to uh, go and learn more about your work and your books and your teaching? Sure. It's, it's just my name, richardmoss.com. And there is there's some really every, – almost everything on my website is free. Um, I don't – I really feel like nothing that I've developed, even the model of the mandala of being, which is um, – a model that's never been that clearly placed in front of human beings before. It's something I want people to learn and teach themselves and teach to others and take away and use. And So there's a whole series of free e-courses on how to be with your stories, how to be present, how to come start all over again moment after moment in the present moment. Wonderful. Uh, how to invent yourself. And I do my Facebook posts, which are fun. Uh, so people can like me on Facebook and 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 sh- hear what I have to yeah. to say on any particular day about whatever I have to say about. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. Okay. And there's wonderful. Lots of free videos with specific practices for what people need at the times when they are not where they've lost their center, where their life is difficult. Okay. Um, and so and that's so, on your website. Those free videos. Some of them are on the website, and some of them are on my YouTube channel. YouTube channel. Okay. So if YouTube, you go to my right. YouTube channel, you can watch these these short videos for free, with all these very specific practical practices. And then there's the book, The Mandala of Being, which you spoke about, and the newer one, yeah. Inside Out Healing, which is about transforming our lives through the power of presence, the craft of how to be a present, live in the present moment, the art and craft of it. Um, yeah. Very, very, very practical book. I mean, it's impossible to read that book and not change your life. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, Richard Moss, I want to thank you again for being on A Better World with me today and uh, sharing your your depth and your feeling and your and your wisdom with us. I really very much appreciate it. You're very welcome, Mitchell. Keep doing what you do. I will do. And continue on with the healing of the hip and everything. I'd love to see you run in a marathon or spin on your head. No, 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 no more running. But I'll still be able to mountaineer a little. You know, at the level okay. of, at this at this age, I still love to do it, and I'll ride my bike over the mountain passes and Beautiful. things that I Beautiful. things that I love to do. Great, yeah. but run, running running is one of the things I can't do yeah. anymore. It's probably to your benefit. Thanks again for <laughs> joining us so much. You're very welcome, Mitchell. Bye. And we'll talk again sometime. Bye-bye now. Richard Moss, uh, truly a a gift to humankind with all the good that he has brought forth, all the wisdom, just cold that you can almost hear how it's refined over the years of his learning and teaching and watching and observing and then really always looking back at himself 
I get so much from that because uh, he reminds me so much as he was saying that he felt that he was talking with himself. Well, I felt the same way in a certain way that we see the good of ourselves in someone else. Very beautiful, very powerful, and very helpful in our uh, work to uh, fulfill our highest ideals of who we are, our highest vision of ourselves. And he mentioned Nelson Mandela, I thought was very good. And I often think of Mandela and Gandhi and Martin Luther King, very honestly, where I get that chill and tears in my eyes when I hear the I have a dream speech. It's just it's just so awakening. And I feel it just calls upon the highest of us and the highest of humanity. So Richard Moss, thank you so much. And remember to go to his website at www.richardmossmoss.com. So now we will take a momentary interlude with some Mozart. And when we return, we will be speaking with Dr. Marielle Samus, who is a naturopath and healer, and we'll learn about her approach to healing. And uh, you'll enjoy Hold on one moment, enjoy Mozart, and we'll be right back. with Dr. Richard Moss. And by the way, uh, Richard had been a guest on A Better World TV some time ago, and uh, that is available on DVD through our store on our website, www.abetterworld.tv, where you should also sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And uh, if you cast about and hit on store, you will find my interview with Richard on DVD as well as with many other spiritual teachers, teachers of consciousness and healing and transformation and Bruce Lipton and cellular biology and neuroscience and oh my, the list goes on, the list goes on and we keep adding to it. So, uh, right now, talking about adding to our wealth of guests talking about healing and engaging us deeply in that process and practice, I have invited on to join for our second half today, Dr. Marielle Samus. 
She has been a clinical nutritionist and practitioner of naturopathy for many years around Long Island and now is just relocated in the Orlando area in Winter Park. She took her practice and just moved on down very recently and is opening up practice there. Dr. Samus has an extensive background in uh, pre-medical studies and uh, holds a, a BS in that, uh, as well as from um, New York Institute of Technology, where she was studying nutrition, an interesting place to do it. Her work right now is very hands-on, and it involves such things as biofeedback, computerized bioenergetic assessment, limbic stress assessment, uh, cell microscopy, advanced urinalysis, homeopathy, metabolic-type diet, profiling, on it goes, and at base, interestingly, Marielle is a very special woman, a very beautiful healer. You can feel her energy just being in her presence. And her work with people really reflects the depth of her work. And as I said at the beginning of the show, a lot of her work involves dealing with early family childhood trauma and freeing one up from the barriers, the barricades, the armoring that that so often brings forward and helps people, in a sense, get liberated from it so they can move on in their lives. So, Mariella, are you on with us? Hello, Mitchell. How are you? I am well, thanks. I am well. So good to have you Have you on, A Better World. Oh, it's an honor. I'm so honored to, to be invited to be along so many of your esteemed guests. It's uh, truly an honor. Thank you so much. I, uh, you made me sound so very welcome. good, Mitchell. I, <laughs> I, I was very listening what? to you. You made me sound very good, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are very good. That's why. (laughs) I just took the blueprint and I just added a little salt and a little sugar and a little spice. That's all. But you have already brought forth the basics. So, uh, no, really, Marielle, your work is very good. And uh, you and I had the um, wonderful opportunity to meet through our dear friends Yasuhiko Genku Kimura and um, and Mira Vivante, and uh, you and I have had a chance to be in seminars together of of Yasuhiko's, and I've seen you at work, and I've experienced it directly myself, and I'm, this is why I wanted to have you on and share your uh, wealth of experience with our audience here at A Better World. Um, what when you look at what you do and the effect that you have on your clients, what would you say is the most uh, kind of pressing issue that you feel people are dealing with this in this day and age? Well, my work as a, a naturopath um, over the past twenty years um, kind of intertwines a little bit. I mean, the naturopathic perspective always encompasses um, body and mind. And my journeys um, through my training, being an MSW as well as a naturopath, um, I'm finding that um, chronic pain 
people who are coming in with chronic pain, whether it be physical or emotional. Um, that is kind of where my work has sort of led me um, to helping people with the underlying cause for these types of chronic conditions. Yes. And when you are engaged, what is it that you do with your clients? How would you describe the the trend of the work? That's an excellent question. Um, this technique um, really doesn't even have a name. It's, it's something that I've been developing through the years, and I've been taking my training, whether it be in Chinese medicine, EMDR, body talk. Um, through the years, I've kind of learned how to interweave uh, different techniques and kind of came up with my own style, I guess you could say. And um, it kind of just is a, a form of mapping, and from there I just, I, I guess, find the underlying belief systems or causes, and then I have an actual mm-hmm. physical release technique, as you know, um, yeah. that actually brings that unconscious um, trauma, if we could call it a trauma, um, because trauma, um, you know, in an adult mind can be very different from the trauma in a child's mind, and many times these traumas are unconscious traumas. So we don't even really understand how they're acting in our world on a daily basis. So as you know and have experienced once we find the underlying cause, we then try to remove it actually physically from the body and where it's been yes. stored in the tissue. And um, I just have a technique. How, and what, guess, how would you describe your release technique? And First of all, I mean, when you engage somebody and they come as a client, uh, you do a pretty thorough, uh, basically a family history. You get some information about genealogy. You kind of take a look at their early lives and the influences on them. And then when you assess what that looks like, uh, then you engage the healing, uh, which a lot of it consists of releasing those old patterns that got put in place. Would you? Yes. Is that a fair yes, assessment? You're right. That I, it is a mapping. It is um, getting into trying to uncover the trauma. Um, yeah. And at whatever age that trauma um, may have occurred. And a lot of times I'm learning as I'm doing this technique with people that um, things will come out during the actual physical session part of the uh, technique that they didn't even remember and uh, we didn't even talk about. So, um, you know, it's um, a lot of it is intuitive, I guess, when I get into that actual physical release place. It's just um, being able to know how to guide that person to finally release it. Yep. Got it. Got it. What have you seen when your clients have come in one state and they leave in another? And <laughs> That's a really good descriptive. I've had, I've had people tell me that, you know, and not in all cases, but in most cases people will walk out a little bit dazed and saying, you know, wow, my whole life feels different. You know, that was completely life-changing. I've, you know, I have not had anyone um, be able to do it on me, so I can't really say how it is for someone. <laughs> um, 
I would love to be able to learn how to do this on myself. But um, uh-huh. it can be um, truly life-changing, or it can be very subtle, which manifests itself over the next days and weeks as a person integrates that clearing, because it is a physical clearing from the body. Um, people come in, I'm, I guess the, maybe the best way I can kind of explain this is to give an example. Would yes, that be please. helpful? Okay. Oh, very. Um, <laughs> well, um, I had a woman come in as an example of um, chronic pain. She had um, arthritis and had it for most of her adult life. And after we went through the session and we figured out some of the long-held emotions in the body and we were able to confront them and breathe through them and release them from the body, um, she expressed to me that 80% of her arthritis had gone. And we did a subsequent session um, a few weeks later after she had time to integrate. And she was able to remove or release most of her chronic pain. You know, so that I I that that was very profound for her and you know, again, I'm just the facilitator. I really believe that true healing comes from within and you know, it, it's it's my gift and maybe my blessing to be able to help someone to achieve that. Um so, you know, I again was just guiding her through it. But she was able to reach that depth and really release, finally, that arthritis. So you've been able to facilitate this kind of healing with uh, those with chronic pain. I mean, of all things, chronic pain, migraines, uh, back pain, these are things that are, you know, oftentimes considered virtually intractable, you know, not healable. How do you understand that process happening, especially because you understand as a naturopath and as a nutritionist that things that are diagnosed as arthritis are intense levels of inflammation of tissue? you understand that it usually is related to acidosis, you know, over-acidity of of the joints. So how do you understand that uh, an emotional clutching, contraction, if you will, uh, could have in itself liberated one from this kind of acidic, inflamed condition? Well, I, I think... My belief, you know, through my work is that um, maybe the reason that we get this chronic inflammation or this imbalance of acidity could be stemming from a deeper um, imbalance in our level of authenticity, uh, which can biochemically us. And, and when we're able to be truly aligned and truly authentic and be able to um, bring into balance emotions that may be stored and we're not even really aware that they're stored and where they're stored. Um, mm-hmm. Once that happens, I think that the system biochemically can function more optimally and then that inflammation then decreases. I mean, that's my yeah. belief and that's basically been my ex- experience as I'm going through process with people. And it, wow, it, it also, you, just... you know, 
hit it. Yeah. I feel you're completely on it. It's emotional. I mean, we, you know, you and I know that oh, yeah. there's people that walk around in chronic pain, but, you know, one very fascinating story um, that if I could share with you um, yes. would demonstrate the emotional pain. A lot of people I'm finding walk around in a lot of emotional pain. And I, I had a woman in, you know, her early 50s who came in, and she wanted to find the perfect relationship. She just wanted to find the right guy. And she, she'd she been married before, and she dates, and she dates, and she dates. And it was really um, fascinating because she would meet a nice man, and everything would be going great. And when she would get to a place in the relationship, she would all of a sudden start to do, like, really crazy things. Like, she'd be texting, 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 you know, driving past his house, calling him and taking flights, you know, really, in a sense, mm-hmm. trying to sabotage this wonderful relationship. And she was frustrated uh-huh. because a part of her was doing it, and she could see herself doing it, but there was another part in her that was doing the acting, which was really frustrating her. And so that's where, you know, we found that by employing the different aspects of this technique, we were able to figure out that her her dad left her when she was four. And in that moment, she was traumatized. And we found that the little four-year-old inside of her was oftentimes doing the acting in her relationships. So she would, her, the healthy part of her would get to a certain place and everything is going great. And then the little four-year-old who had the trauma with her dad leaving her and sometimes trauma, when it repeats itself over and over, can actually become familiar. Um, her little four-year-old would go out and reenact the trauma of dad leaving her. So she would go and create opportunities for the men to dump her. And yeah. so we were able to, I know it it's, uh, sounds wild, but um, it, we were able to integrate her little four-year-old and um, be able to release that four-year-old's trauma about her dad leaving her and she was able to actually go out and cultivate and have a healthy relationship. And she released herself from that emotional pain. So after the work, she did do that, and she did not Mm -hmm. seek to sabotage it? Exactly, because she was able to um, develop her own connected relationship with that traumatized four-year-old and release, you know, let the trauma be released from that part of her that had held on to it unconsciously for so long and was able to... Is she in that relationship today? I do believe she still is. I haven't seen her. <laughs> so and how much time has passed? Uh, I'm going to say that was probably three years ago. Mhm. Mhm. Good track record. Good track record. <laughs> so no, far. it's very interesting. I the work that I do, which is you know got uh, shares many aspects with your work. Uh, I refer to those. Uh, things that happen, those patterns as psychobiological cycles where the person would look to, as you were putting it well, recreate the trauma. And uh, the body doesn't feel, the body-mind doesn't feel at ease unless that happens, strange as it may sound, until it's given the opportunity to interrupt that cycle 
with something that might actually feel a whole lot better than what just feels familiar. There's a big Very distinction well right, okay. between Very what's well really good for you and what's familiar to you. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I very much and appreciate I think it. What the frustrating part is for many people is that it's the unconscious part of them that's doing the acting and the creating in their world. And yes. they're not conscious of the trauma. They either can't remember it, which does come to light when we're doing the physical release. Um, once they remember it, that really helps a lot. But when they don't remember it and it's acting, they're looking at their life going, what is going on? Why are these things happening to me over and over again? Yes, exactly, exactly. You know, that's the whole problem. It's unconscious. (laughs) That's why feedback from people who can see the pattern, that's why having a a therapist or a counselor or a coach or a healer or a naturopath – in someone's life uh, for at least some period of time to be the person providing that feedback uh, in some kind of rather persistent way can really help so many people because in our ordinary lives, the feedback we get is from life itself, which is fabulous, except there isn't a whole lot that will help us see what's unconscious. And, you know, hearing it from someone who's trained in that can really help out and save a lot of time and suffering. Haven't you found that? Yes, yes. And, um, you know, I'm I'm so grateful that I've been given that opportunity to help people, uh, you know, get to their goals, get to their dreams. You know, there's absolutely nothing more fulfilling than that. Right, 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 right. So you have now taken up shop to just shift a little bit um, to Winter Park. You heard a call to move. And uh, what could you talk a little bit about that? And I also know that you are sure. part of a healing center, um, founding a healing center down there with another uh, dear friend of ours, another colleague, Sandra. And speak about that if you would a little bit. Well, you know, it probably has a lot to do with 20 degrees. You know, I just really think I (laughs) I had it with the winters, um, you know. uh, But, um, yes, I I do still still do uh, work at the Northport Wellness Center. Um, I I still do work there, and I still, you know, on a – on a daily slash weekly basis, I still do the thermographies and I read the results and things like that. So I am still kind of a little bit in New York. Um, yes. But um, the Phoenix Wellness Center was a great opportunity for me to make a transition uh, and start to branch out a little bit too. I, I think after 20 years of of being in this in the area of New York, it was just time. I just felt a calling to kind of um, branch out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So we're freezing, and you're in the sunshine. Yeah, it's 70 degrees probably right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that that environment is very healing in itself. 
right. If you would give us a little idea, you mentioned thermography. You use a number of different kinds of techniques in your work with people, Marielle. Could you just uh, run through some of those that I named at the uh, beginning of the show? Okay. What What are the ones that you really like using, and what do they do? Um, well, I oh, gosh, I really like to do um, biofeedback work. Um, that is a uh, bioenergetic assessment that kind of can give me a little heads up into which direction to go in a session. Um, I do offer a lot of uh, food allergy testing through different labs that provide that IgG testing. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of neurotransmitter panels. Um, I, well, is I the food I allergy testing using... A strand of hair or urine or what? what is the method? It's, it's serum. It's blood. Yeah, it's blood serum. Mm -hmm. It's blood draw. Um, and uh, for many years in the Northport Wellness Center was very known for our work with children on the spectrum. So um, a lot of times that involves um, dietary assessment. So I do a lot of, you know, the food sensitivity testing. Um, sometimes there's heavy metal uh, chelation that's involved. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, gosh, the, pretty much every possible modality I I love to do, and and whichever is needed, really, it's about wherever the client is and where the patient is, and and where I need to go from there to help them uh, to be more optimal. Do people come more for what they would call physical complaints or? Uh, emotional anxiety and the like. All of that, yeah. I I don't get a lot of wellness visits. Let's put it that way. I, I like to end mm -hmm. them that way. With when I don't see them, that's a good thing. You know, I yes. see people when they need me. Otherwise, you know, I know I'm doing the right thing. Uh, but uh, yes, yes, mostly it is um, starting out with some type of physical. And then I try to ascertain if uh, I can help them. Because not everyone is open to um, exploring the deeper unconscious emotional piece. And so sometimes working yes. with someone one or two sessions, I can comfortably ease them towards seeing the whole picture um, yes. of the body-mind-spirit connection. Yeah. 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 But well, it usually starts like out physical. Yes. Uh, they have to have a reason for coming in in the first place, and most people don't feel comfortable in saying, uh, I feel traumatized, or I was <laughs> traumatized early in my life, let's sit down and talk about it, or, you know, I feel even anxious. People don't like, but, but I have a backache, I have a headache, I have this, I have a digestive issue, food allergy, yes. what have you. But, of course, you and I know that... Uh, when people get through dealing with the emotional conflict and come to a state of emotional harmony, and behind harmony is pleasure, uh, then their food allergies and digestive issues and headaches, oftentimes, just like you said with the wonderful story of the uh, arthritis, clears up. Yes. It's finding the balance on all levels that bring uh, an inner alignment. And um, in order to do that, you have to become more authentic and really look at all the areas of your life that aren't working and try to find a, 
a way to balance that. And, and uh, by doing that, I think that the whole system just flows, works in harmony yes. with itself. Exactly, exactly. It's You have a true body-mind integrated, truly holistic understanding. And it's something I very much appreciate because that's the way I approach my work with my clients as well. And very few do. And I find most people who have a physical problem really do like to lock in. Oh, no, no, no. This is chemical. This is a polyp. And this is here because of this, that, and the other thing. It just shows up. It just emerges. Well, yeah, it's related to the way you think and the way you feel and the way you make decisions and the way you process and deal with conflict and the food you eat and the air you breathe and the water you drink and literally the way you think and the lens through which you look at life. Yes. There's no separation. There's no separation. That's looking at the holistic, the whole piece, the holistic perspective. That's right. So people like you and I are really engaged in an education or a re-education of our clients and of the community that the world works differently than um, a machine the way generally medicine works. Now, there's a mechanical aspect to our lives and to our bodies. God knows. You know, you break a bone, you have to set that bone, you know. No kidding around it. Of course, you can also use magnets to help accelerate the healing of the bone. And you can also come to understand what that bone in particular represents in the larger emotional field. And why did you break that bone? What kind of carelessness, inattentiveness, or what other possibility could there be behind whatever action precipitated the breaking of that bone? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's many, many perspectives and possible exactly. ways to approach that. Exactly. Exactly. Really true. Well, I want to just thank you, Marielle. It's been a pleasure speaking with you about things that are so important, I feel, to the furtherance and evolution of our thinking about things like healing and um, and mind-body medicine and mind-body healing. What thoughts would you like our audience to leave with today that they could kind of carry with them in their satchel? Um, I think I would say that um, it would be my hope that people would always have hope uh, that there is always support available and that um, things can be resolved, that there's always hope. Beautiful. I love that. Hope springs eternal. (laughs) And uh, when people realize the physiology of hope, they're really going to want to nurture what you said. <laughs> Let it be, you know. Let it be. Yeah. That's great. What is uh, your website for everybody? My website is uh, carepluslholistic.com. And holistic is with a W, not H-O-L-E, not whole, but whole as in W-H-O-L. Oh, okay. so it's care- Holistic. 
Okay. Yes. Care Plus Holistic with a W, holistic.com. <laughs> yeah. All right, great. Do you want to give your phone number out as well for people who would like to contact you? Uh, sure. Um, let's see. I don't know my new office number. Isn't that terrible? Um, <laughs> but I, I have a, a number that, you know, a lot of patients contact me, and that's 516-356-8904. Okay, one more time for everybody. 516-356-8904. Wonderful. Marielle Samas, thank you so much for being on A Better World today and sharing some of your experience and insights and work with with our audience. It's it's invaluable. Well, thank you it really kindly. Is, you know, I, thank you. Thank you kindly. Really, beautiful Mitchell. woman, absolutely. And you you bring a tremendous amount of heart to your work, and I think that's something that it, it actually lines up so much with what uh, Richard Moss before you, Doctor Richard Moss. I don't know if you heard, but when he was in the emergency room at an early age as a doctor, he felt that all he had to do is love his patient and he put his hand on the patient's arm i believe and just held it there cops were in the room you know nurses everything but here's this young doctor just holding the arm of his patient and expressing through that touch love and uh i feel that you do a lot of that in your work and i'm i'm grateful for it Thank you, and and I, I wish you and and everyone that's listening a very very blessed holiday season and a blessed new year. Beautiful. Thank you, Marielle, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mitchell. Be well. You too. Wow. So this has been a very full day today here at A Better World, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed speaking to my special guest, Dr. Richard Moss, for the first half of today's show and Dr. Marielle Samus uh, for the second half. Remember, on our website, www.abetterworld.tv, we have a free newsletter that you can sign up for that announces who will be our guests, if we're going to have a guest. Sometimes I open up the lines here on A Better World Radio just so you can call in and share your thoughts, feelings, your questions, get some uh, professional guidance for free here on our show. And we also will we cover a lot of things that are global in nature. We like to look at the larger issues involving climate change and what we're doing to our dear Gaia, the Earth Mother. Uh, I like for us to look at all domains of human endeavor and activity, including political and economic, financial. We'll be talking very soon, if I can get it all lined up next week, uh, about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a treaty that is coming down the pike uh, of immense proportion and very disruptive to not just uh, the citizens of the United States, but literally of every country that signs on to it, and maybe even more. 
uh, very disruptive and uh, something that I really want our audience to get educated about so we can engage in the proper action and speaking up and speaking out to our Congress people and more about putting an, a stop to this, a real dead stop. And we'll be also speaking about the issues regarding genetically modified foods and what's happened to our food. It's really something important for us all to look at. And uh, these are some of the subjects with which we will be engaging in coming shows. So thanks again for joining us. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. And remember our website, and thanks so much for listening. Please pass it on, uh, both the shows, the link, and the website to your friends and family and let them get educated about a new way of thinking, much more expansive, much more holistic, much more intuitive, much more connected to heart and soul. And if you want to know our way out and through the debacle in which we currently find ourselves on this planet, both locally and um, globally, it's that we all listen more closely to each other and we get out of our own way and we speak from our heart and we develop true, connected, related relationships with each other and hold each other to our word and to accountability. And in these ways, one by one, we will really be able to move things forward. So on that note, thanks again and sending you much love and good cheer for this wonderful holiday season. And I look forward to seeing you all.
carry on our public service work here at A Better World. So please consider being a donor of $3. It's like one medium coffee at Starbucks a month would be all we're asking for. And additionally, we have in the domain of healing something called the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, which is a little more than $3 a month. It's more like $600 a year, but it's a very advanced form of healing that happens through the use of a holographic image of oneself, a.k.a. a photograph, that is placed into a special computer that we have with a special software program which interfaces with the photograph with frequencies, healing, balancing frequencies. It's very unique. You can find information about this on our homepage, and I encourage you to learn more about it. We've had thousands of people on our program over the past, my God, at this point, 14 years. So read up about it. It is there, the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, also known as the HEB program. You can learn about it, read about it, fill out an application and become part of it. Love to have you. And again, if not that, $3 a month, please give consideration to that. Okay, on that note, we are closing out the show, and I look forward to seeing you all as uh, next week.